You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. God draws us out to draw us in. Um, We have spent the greater part of 2018 walking through Exodus, and this morning we reach the end. Um, In Exodus 40, as you're going to see, Moses finishes the tabernacle. Moses and Aaron and Aaron's sons, the priest, come and they wash and prepare and consecrate themselves. Um, They finish the work that God has set before them. And it sounds a bit crazy, but um, the pinnacle, the climax, the summit, if you will, of the entire exodus of this journey, it, it all comes to a head and unfolds in the last five verses of the book. And so that's where we're going to start this morning. If you will join me in Exodus chapter 40. But I, I want to say ahead of time that you're going to see so very, very powerfully and, and, and beautifully how God is showing in Exodus chapter 40, God is already reflecting the glory of Christmas. Look with me in the last five, six verses here. Um, Exodus 40, we're going to begin at the end of um, verse 33. It says, so Moses finished the work. There's like 25 chapters of Exodus rolled up in that one sentence right there. Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, and in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys." When you read the scriptures and you understand the whole of the gospel, you know that the need for the exodus doesn't begin in Exodus chapter 1. The need for the exodus begins in Genesis chapter 3. Because sin came into the world and sin brought with it slavery. You move down through Genesis and then you come to this young man by the name of Joseph... You have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and here's Jacob's son, Joseph. And Joseph's brothers, in sin, sell him into slavery in Egypt. And while the story of Joseph is powerful and redeeming and and so incredible of what God does through Joseph's life, you put a few more hundred years in there, and that sin that began by ushering Joseph into slavery ultimately leads where? To slavery. Sin came into the world, it brought slavery with it. God's desire and plan is to draw us out. To draw us out of slavery. More importantly, to draw us out of sin and death. I hope that, uh, especially if you've been here over the course of this year, and you've heard now 30, 31, 32 times uh, what just happened before I got up here, that video playing of saying those words, God draws us out to draw us in. I hope that's beginning to sink in. 
that God saves us from in order to save us to. God saves us from slavery to save us to freedom. God saves us from sin and death and saves us to life, abundant and eternal. In order to do this, God had to and has to dwell among his people. If you're going to save a people, you, you have to be among them. God has said over and over and over and over in the Exodus to the Israelites, I will be your God. I will be with you. You will be my people. And one thing that is really, really um, essential that we need to understand when we read God saying this over and over throughout the Exodus and throughout the scriptures is that he is eager to do it. Look with me again at verse 33. It says, so Moses finished the work. And depending upon what Bible you have, what translation, whatever, right then it's like there's a stopping point and then it has a theme or a heading in the scriptures. Mine says the glory of the Lord. I don't say this to discourage you or in any shape, form, or fashion to try and undermine the authority and the magnificence of the word of God. But keep in mind that humans Humans took this, the word, and we put it into chapters and verses and themes and headings so that we would be able to read and understand it more easily. Well, in doing that every once in a while, we, it's possible that we sort of chop the feet out from underneath some of the power of the language. And let me give you an example. Here we read that the work was finished. New, new section, the glory of the Lord. And then it says in verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Here's the issue. That word, then. See, I could say to you, hey, if you'll come over this afternoon, you know, like five, we'll hang out for a while and then I'll throw some steaks on the grill. It's like, we'll come over, you'll come over, we'll sit down, share for a while, hang out, and then later, or whatever, when we're getting hungry, we'll eat. This is what the language of these verses says. It says, Moses finished the work, the cloud covered the tent, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. What in the world are you talking about, Brian? Why does this make any difference or matter? It matters in that all of this happened simultaneously. The instant Moses finished the work, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God was eagerly waiting and ready to do this. Now, don't think of eager like you and I will be on the night of December the 24th. And some of you adults like to pretend like, yeah, my kids love Christmas Day. You do too. It's okay to be a kid. When I go to bed on December 24th, I'm like, I can't wait for the morning. It's so fun. It's awesome. We should be like that. We're celebrating the birth of the coming of the King of Kings. We get anxious. We want it to be here now. God doesn't get anxious. 
What's happening here with God is there, there's this very determined and purposed and willful readiness on his part. It's very, very reflective here of what Paul says a thousand years later in Galatians 4.4 4, when he says, at just the right time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. At just the right time, when everything had been fulfilled and was ready, the moment the work was finished, God poured out his glory and his presence. He's eager to do this. Verse 35. But Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Up until now, Moses, obviously at the Lord's invitation, has been able to go in and out of the tent. He's been the one to go into the presence of God, if you will. And now all of a sudden there's this force field that says, nope, not anymore. You don't get to come either. You're not coming in. You can no longer enter. Moses, you are ultimately not going to be able to fulfill the role and the job that I've given you up till now. You're not going to come. The people's confidence up to this point was who or what? It was that man. It was Moses. Somebody needs to climb the hill to talk to God on our behalf. Moses climbs. Moses enters into the cloud in the presence of God on our behalf. Moses mediates on our behalf. Moses speaks on our behalf. Moses is their link to God. And now all of a sudden, Moses is not allowed to enter. If you were an Israelite and you were paying attention, this could have been horribly frightening. Because remember, this is the Moses who, after 400 years of God's people being in slavery and he hears their cries, he saves this baby, anoints this young man, draws him back in and raises him up to be the deliverer and the mediator of his people. That's the Moses we're talking about here. This is the Hebrew peasant who, by God's divine intervention, went to live in the palace Why? How? Because God deemed it so. This is their mediator and their deliverer. And now all of a sudden he can't enter. If Moses cannot ultimately enter the tabernacle on our behalf, who can? God can. God himself will fill the tabernacle. God himself will deliver and mediate and redeem. All throughout this journey, even though God has said, um, I will be your God, you will be my people, the question that had to be looming in the people's hearts was, will God really be with us? Remember not too long ago that God spoke to Moses and said, Moses, I'm about to send you all in but I'm not going with you. Because if the people sin against me just about one more time, it might be the death of them. But you remember what Moses says and does. He says, God, if you don't go with us, why would we go? God, if you don't go with us, we don't want to move from here. You've always said you will be our God and we will be your people and you will be with us. Don't back out now. 
It has to be looming in their hearts. Will God leave us? Will he go with us? Will he be with us? Let's fast forward about 1,400 years. From Joseph to Moses, how many years are in there? There's about 400. So now let's fast forward 1,400 years and from the time that the last prophet speaks to the time that the declaration of this Messiah coming, how much time's there? About 400 years. 1,400 years after this, God's people are again, after these 400 years of silence from the prophets, after 400 years of this growing dominance and oppression of Rome on top of them, God's people are again crying out to be delivered, and God hears their cries. And God has not forgotten his covenant and his promises. The, prom- the prophets, they had not spoken in vain. They said some very, very specific thing for very specific reasons, and God has not forgotten what he declared through his prophets. Let's remember a few of the things that were said. Isaiah when he was talking about the Messiah that would come, Isaiah proclaimed that the Messiah would come and that he would be born of men. What in the world is that about? How is that even like possible? Micah proclaimed that the great shepherd, a ruler would come and would shepherd my people and he would come from Bethlehem. Bethlehem, are you serious? See, you and I, we hear Bethlehem, O little town of Bethlehem. We sing it on Christmas Eve together, and we're like, Bethlehem's awesome. That's where Jesus is born. Back then, they heard Bethlehem, and they're like, are you joking me? At the risk of insulting anybody in here, I won't come up with some podunk Alabama town, but this would be like us going Pugsville. Who comes from Pugsville? You're telling me that's where the king and the Messiah are going to come from? But another thing that Isaiah said is he said that the Messiah would come and that they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Turn with me for a moment to the Gospel of John, the very first chapter. When you read the Gospels, you got Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew was a money guy. Uh, Matthew's one of those people. Some of you in here probably like that. You go to the bank and the people are moving so fast on the calculator they can't even see their hand going. That was probably Matthew. Matthew was a smart dude. And Matthew's gospel is very, very historical. It's very detailed. You read the gospel of Mark and there's a whole lot of reasons to believe that because of Peter's relationship with John Mark, Peter orally told John Mark everything that had happened with Christ and Mark wrote it down. And then you have Luke. Luke was a doctor. Luke was brilliant. You want history? That you go and you read the gospel of Luke. That second chapter that we read at Christmas, I mean, it's incredible. And then you got John. John and I, we probably would have been pals. John was the right brain thinker in the disciple crowd. John was the poet. 
I don't know if John knew already Luke and Matthew. They've been really, really detailed and thorough. But I'm going to be a little different with my gospel. Look with me. John chapter 1, verse 1. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory of the only son of God from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Here's why we're reading this scripture, church family. The actual translation of what John says here is that the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That's kind of a weird way to use that word. We don't even use the word tabernacle as a noun anymore, and John's tossing it out here as a verb. God became flesh and set up his tent, tabernacled among us. Let's make sure that we really grasp the tabernacle. We definitely need to grasp it as a noun before we even begin to understand it, possibly as a verb. If you go back to Exodus 29, when this whole tabernacle thing starts being tossed out, in Exodus 29, we begin to learn of the significance of it. There, God is speaking about what the tabernacle will be for the sons of Israel. And God says that this will be a place of meeting. It will be a place of revelation. I will reveal myself to you here. It will be a place of consecration. Um, It will be a place of sanctification, of purifying my people, of propitiation, where sacrifices will be made to forgive the sins of my people. And then in verses 45 and 46, you see the real significance of God dwelling among his people. God says, Exodus 29, verses 45 and 46, that the very reason he brought them out of Egypt was so that he could dwell with them, that he might be with them, that he might tabernacle among them. The tabernacle is a really big deal, not just for Israel, but for us. You move into Exodus 33, and we learn more. In verse 7, it says that everyone who sought Yahweh came here. That this would be the place where Israel could have fellowship and communion with their God. 
verse 8 tells us that every time Moses would go into the tent, everyone would stop what they were doing, like Moses is going in, Moses is going in, and they would watch Moses because Moses would go in and the cloud would descend and he would meet with God on their behalf. They were totally in awe. They should be. It's crazy what's going on with Moses in that tent for us. Everything stopped. Verse 9 says that whenever Moses went in, the cloud, the pillar of cloud would descend. And so what we see here is that God condescended. This is a place of condescension. Not condescending like you and I would talk bad about one another. Not that kind of condescending. But that God came down to us. You understand that we can't do the opposite. We, we couldn't get up to him. So he had to come down to us. It tells us that Moses would speak with Yahweh. What happened here, Yahweh, God would reveal himself. This is a place of condescension. This is a place of revelation. Verse 10 says that the people would worship because they saw the glory of the Lord revealed in the cloud. So this is a place of great worship. And finally, we're told that Yahweh would speak to Moses face to face. Now understand, Moses could not see the face of God, look on the face of God. It would have struck him dead. But God spoke to Moses as if face to face, the way that you and I would speak to a friend. And so we understand that the tabernacle is this place of intense, intimate fellowship. Are you grasping the significance of this place among the people of God? And then you get to Exodus 40, and after literally half of this book being devoted to, this is what it will look like, this is how you will build it, and then the people saying, that is how we will build it, and they carry it out, you get to Exodus 40, and holy mackerel, we reach the end, the culmination of all this, Everything that Israel has heard up to now has been what the tabernacle would be, what would happen there when it was completed, and now it's finished. It's done. And Moses and Aaron have consecrated themselves. They are set apart. All of Israel is watching, and God's glory fills the tabernacle. Yahweh descends upon his dwelling place. And the glory of God descends in such a way that not even Moses, who, remember, has gone into the tent, has gone into the presence of God over and over again, time and time before, he's seen a glimpse of God's glory, and now all of a sudden, not even he can enter the tent. This is God declaring... I don't need you, Moses. I will be with my people. I will be with my people. I will dwell among them. And so we read Exodus 40 and we read John chapter 1 to understand that the glory of Christmas is that the Son of God chose to tabernacle among us that he chose to become one of us. And so when we read this 
artsy, poetic disciple using this really odd and peculiar word when he tells his readers, when he tells us that the incarnate word came and dwelt among us, we know that he's trying to call our attention back here to Exodus 40. Don't you dare forget how important this tabernacle was. How important it really is. John is telling us that Yahweh descended, that God came and dwelt among his people. He spoke with them in communion and revealed himself for worship. And that that very same thing is not only happening, but it is ultimately being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's Christmas. Look at Galatians chapter 4 with me for a moment. I mentioned verse 4 a few minutes ago. Well, let's start in verse 3. Galatians 4, verse 3. When we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. What's Paul saying? He is saying that when you and I entered into this world, we were slaves to sin. But when the fullness of time had come, again, at just the right time, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. You are a daughter. And if you are a son and daughter, then you are an heir through God. If Moses could not ultimately enter into the, t- the tabernacle on our behalf, what are we going to do? Who can accomplish this? Jesus. In Jesus Christ, the glory of Yahweh is descending among his people. Jesus said, I will come. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9 verse 11 Think about Moses going in over and over and over again on behalf of the people, taking the blood of animals to be the propitiation, the sacrifice to cover over the sins of the people. Hebrews 9 verse 11 says, When Christ appeared, when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not the tabernacle that Moses and Aaron and the people built out in the wilderness. No, he entered once for all into the holy places, and not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, if all of that accomplished that temporarily, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit 
offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the light of the world, came and tabernacled among us that we might have life. It's the only way it could happen. We could not get to him. He came to us. And so, friends, as we enter into this Christmas season, as we walk through Advent, um, as we prepare our hearts to, to praise God for the gift of Emmanuel, may this cause us to worship. May this move us to a place of adoration, understanding that the Word, the eternal God Himself, the agent of all creation, the one that created all things, came to his creation and that the life, the light of the world became flesh and dwelt among us. Let me ask you to bow your heads and pray together. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.